Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Cool Room Podcast, uh, an excellent episode we've got coming up today. Uh, I'm your host, David Griffiths, and I'm going to be joined by a cast of thousands today to discuss the final three beers in the Carbon Black Box, uh, ripping beers and ripping discussions about them, of course. Uh, looking forward to being joined by my friend Warren Wu, looking forward to catching up with Ben Deval from Carbon Sellers, who helped put the pack together and offers us some insights about that, uh, and really looking forward to talking to brewers from Spotty Dog, Banks and Deeds Brewing. Um, interesting discussions about each of the beers, and look, listen right through and you'll get some really interesting insights uh, as the brewers start to talk about the state of the market for craft beer in Australia at the moment, some of the trends they see emerging and what they're all doing to try and make the most of what are some pretty tricky economic times. So uh, I really hope you can stick around. It's been fantastic. Uh, the numbers have demonstrated that People are clearly listening into the podcast for the first time uh, because of the black box. Uh, and if that's you, well, I hope you'll be able to stick around for future episodes of The Cool Room and join us both online and in podcast version. Uh, tell all your friends that you're enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you are. Uh, and um, make sure that you're buying some of the beers to help support what we do so that we can continue to do it. So a few things you can do to help. Uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. That's where you'll find out about upcoming events and the beer packs associated with them. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate and review us on whatever uh, host podcast system you use. Uh, that makes a big difference to us, as does buying the beers from our online store. Uh, so just search Cool Room Podcast Shopify and that'll take you over to our store. Uh, we still have black boxes available there and uh, it would be great to see them going out to happy homes where they'll be loved. If you've uh, experienced the beers already, you know that this is probably the best black box ever. Such great beers. Uh, and if for some reason you're listening to the podcast and you haven't got those beers in your hand, don't miss out on this opportunity. 12 really rare but fun and drinkable beers uh, out there. So grab some of those. We have coming up very soon, Third Moon Brewing from Canada joining us. Uh, you can join us on Zoom and chat to the brewers from Canada, uh, and we'll make that into a podcast as well. So we've got beers for that on our store. We've got Brainy Brothers coming up, uh, a really fascinating story, uh, and we've got a tasty little eight-pack of beers there, uh, I think for $39, so great value. Uh, we're going to have Behemoth, and we're going to have Bowden Brewing coming up on the show soon as well. Got a couple of live shows coming up at the Flemken Bowls Club and Beer Deluxe in Fed Square. Uh, and we're going to go back to our regular format of shows uh, soon. Hopefully that means a little bit of better audio quality than some of the stuff you've heard in some of the black boxes where we've uh, had to make do with people being in their breweries and obviously are grateful for the time that people put in to make sure they're on the show. Uh, but I know, for instance, that we're going to have a bit more of a discussion with some of the brewers that are coming to Blobfish Festival uh, in Melbourne in the next week or so. So we're going to have Bent Spoke on the show. Uh, Topher from Wildflower is going to be coming in. Uh, all of that plus the interviews that we do here in the live Zoom room. Um, again, thank you for the support. We really hope that you'll continue to listen on uh, as the podcast evolves and tells the story of a really quite fascinating time in the craft beer industry in Australia at the moment. Uh, so let's get over to my good friend, Mr Warren Wu, and get the show underway. Here's the 
it's really sad that it's our last, uh, the last three beers of the podcast. But um, yeah, my liver's really... not unhappy. My my liver says twelve is the right number of beers to have in a pack like this. I reckon, yeah, this uh, uh, this weight and and style, yeah. Although although in saying that, I've needed a beer since nine fifteen this morning, and our first beer is is excellent. It is the Cover Drive textbook beer that I needed for tonight. So I'm really excited about it. Oh, I can't wait to hear if Clint's happy with that description. I hope he is, but let's wait and see. Um, yeah, let's, hopefully he is. <laughs> hopefully he understands what I'm getting on about because, you know, cricket. Um, anywho, uh, in the room tonight, very quickly, we've got Clint from Spotty Dog. Luckily, we've got lucky enough to have Clint from Spotty Dog from Tasmania. Um, Chris from Banks and Curtis from Deeds. So three amazing guests, three amazing breweries. Um, we What we've been doing is... Oh, and I forgot, we've got Ben Deval from Carwin Cellars. Hi, Ben. G'day. So, so special comments, if needed, will be thrown in by Ben, so that'll be awesome. First and foremost, though, uh, we might run through a quick little introduction of each of our brewers. Um Two of the three breweries have been guests uh, on the podcast previously, but we're lucky enough to also have a new uh, a new brewery joining us. Um, Clint, how are you going? Very well, very well. Very glad to be here. Thank you. Excellent. Oh, that's a late yeah. night. That's a late night voice. Those that's dulcet a... tones. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I uh, I have to confess, I am on uh, opposition podcast's desk here, so. Might have a sexy little low-pass filter on this voice. Oh, you, you <laughs> certainly do. Can you just say, coming up after 2am, it'll be uh, requests for loved ones or... Yeah, coming up after 2am on the Cool Room podcast. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. Clint, <laughs> oh, no. this is going to be fun. Um, tell us about Spotty Dog. So we've got lots of... Lots of listeners from all over the world. Bulgaria. 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 Bulgaria is yeah. in the um, Bulgaria. And perhaps they might not be aware of where in the world Spotty Dog is. So give us a little rundown about where they would find themselves if they were to visit Spotty Dog. Yeah, sure. So we're a, a very small uh, brewery down in Hobart. Um, so we've been around for about six or seven years, um, you know, gypsy brewing, contract brewing out of other people's places. So people who are familiar with Shambles or Ocho or Last Rites, we've been brewing alongside those guys. Um, and a bit over 12 months ago, um, we moved into our new sort of purpose-built brewery and um, tap house um, down in the beautiful Prince of Wales Bay, um, which is just outside of Hobart. It's sort of if you were driving to Mona, it's at about the third of the way there point. Um, so we've been in there brewing since August last year. Um, purpose-built facility um, just for our brewery um, and tap house overlooking overlooking the marina down there and out to Mount Wellington. Um, and yeah, very small little team, um, not very well known, um, just punching out some beers. How... Um how big's your tap room? Is it is it as small as the team? Is it a little intimate thing? Yeah, look, the place. Um, it's it's sort of funny to describe if people check out the Instagram and stuff. It definitely doesn't look humble. 
Um, but the building itself is is sort of 600 square meters. Um, a bit of over 350 of that is the production space at the back. And then the front of that building is five meter high floor to ceiling glass overlooking the water. Um, and we're built up in the air. So uh, you can basically uh, throw a can at the uh, local marina. Um, big deck Not out that you've ever done so, just for legal reasons. We should say you've never done that. No, look. If you do sit out there and have a uh, frothy on the deck, sometimes sitting on the sitting on the deck, um, sometimes a mast will go past the top of the deck, and it looks quite funny. Um, but yeah, no, we're we're right on the water there. Um, so you know, not not a massive uh, space, a hundred person capacity, uh, but really special. And obviously, obviously, well, it's not obvious. It's obvious to us because I'm reading it off our run sheet, but. Um, <laughs> Clint, you're the you're the founder of Spotty Dog. Um, yeah. Describe. Let's. I know everyone who's who's run a brewery um, knows the founder is a very very slim definition of what they do around the place. Give us a rundown of um, what else you do apart from being the guy who started everything. Uh, all the shit stuff. Um, so. <laughs> When things go wrong, people bring you the problems. Uh, when budgets blow out, you have to deal with it. Um, when someone misses ABV or nearly misses the can vent, uh, can total, you're the one who has to jump on the phone to Benny. Um, all all the shitty jobs, basically. And, and it sounds like all of the glory, but realistically, every time you're in the brew house, the, beer, the brewing team give you shit. So... Um, a good way to sum it up, a little story I like to tell, um, we have in our brewery a safety shower, as everyone should, mm-hmm. um, and, and during, during installation, uh, the head brewer was saying to me, you know, we will have a safety shower, eyes overhead, we won't be brewing until we have a safety shower. Um, and the team had spent sort of three or four weeks connecting kit together, really struggling, putting everything together, and I turned up one day with the safety shower under my arm in the box, put it down and said, boys, we're good to go, we can brew. Um, so the day before our opening party, I, uh, turned up and didn't notice it all day, but they'd made a little plaque above the safety shower that said, uh, founders commissioning safety chemical spa retreat. And they <laughs> maintain that it's my one and only input to the brewery. Oh, nasty. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. I, I want to bring Chris in at that point because mm. Chris, like literally I, I always make sure that when I'm asking brewers and breweries to come onto the show uh, that I get the right description. I don't want to call a head brewer a, you know, lead brewer or any of those sorts of things. Uh, you, as ever, brother, were very specific in what you sent through. You said owner, brewer and guy that fixes things. Like That's your official title and that just seems to dovetail very nicely with what Clint was saying just then. Yeah, I'm pretty much a under or overpaid maintenance man, depending on which way you like to look at it. Yeah. Are you the one that's there at two or three o'clock in the morning while the, after the rest of maintenance have gone home, you're still sitting there trying to figure out what's you know what's gone wrong in the cool room or associated bit of uh, bit of functioning space there? Yeah, if there was a rest of maintenance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah. I just have to fix things when they break, or call call the right person to fix them if it's above my uh, pay grade. So, yeah, we obviously are very well uh, acquainted with banks and yourself through other podcasts. But for all of our new listeners in Bulgaria, Afghanistan, Spain, all those places where people are logging on, and we love that. 
give us the give us the bank story in two or three minutes without uh, delving into any lawsuits that we don't want to have to recover again. Yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, Banks Brewing. We're in the southeast of Melbourne, just before you hit the Mornington Peninsula. Um, we've been there for just over seven years. Uh, we probably are most sought after or known for our limited release beers. We got you know a small tight, what we like to call a tight core range. Um, nothing too adventurous, just really easy drinking, sessionable sort of core range beers. Um, and then, yeah, like to have a lot of fun with our, our limited releases and, um, yeah, all the, the specialty beers that we can throw out along the way. Um, try and release 30 to 50 new beers a year, depending on, on the year and the market. Um, yeah, there's probably – we're a pretty small team and small brewery down there. Uh, we're actually going through a brewery upgrade at the moment, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Something we've been sort of talking about doing for the last three or four years and – I finally convinced uh, Penny, my wife, who does all the, the funds and finance to allow us to go out and get that bank loan that we needed. And, and yeah, and then, and then the world decided to stop buying products. So <laughs> she's not, uh, we're not talking too much lately, which is, yeah. You and the world or you and Penny? Me and Penny. Me and the world is still good. <laughs> we'll talk about all of those big changes in the world that we live in as we go along tonight. Um, Mr Wu. Yeah, and um, finally, we have Curtis from Deeds. We've had Deeds in quite often. I'm not sure if I've spoken to Curtis before. Um, Curtis, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you guys doing? Yeah, really good. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... Deeds, you guys are you guys are fairly well known in the local beer scene and around the around the nation in parts. But yeah, tell us about um, tell us about what someone would find a Bulgarian friend would find if they were in your tap room, which took forever to get get the approval. Yeah, it took a long time for me to understand. Uh, Deeds has been around for uh, about 11 years now. Our birthday's coming up in August. But we've only had our location for about three years here, in, uh, well, I guess four years now, in uh, Glen Iris. Uh, we brew out of there, just a southern Melbourne neighborhood. Nothing too special, lots of rich white people. That's pretty much all you can say about the place. But, um, yeah, uh, we brew very eclectic lately with our uh, limited releases. We haven't released two of the same beers, really, uh, in the past six months when it comes to our limiteds. If you're uh, looking for, like, you know, our shining examples of what Deeds can do, I'd say it would be our uh, Frey series, which is our uh, BBA, Imperial Stouts, that sort of a thing. So we have a very extensive barrel program here, roughly, I don't know, about 180 barrels uh, of different kinds. Um, Curtis, given that we haven't had uh, a chat before, what yeah. is your favourite beer? Can be Deeds? No, let's do someone else. There's probably too many de- good Deeds beers to mention. But, yeah, what is your favourite beer in the world? Favourite beer in the world? I mean, it sounds pretty standard, but it's like the Pilsner Raquel I had, actually, at the Pilsner Raquel place. Nice. Like, you know, you try to, you, yeah, you try to remove all the romance from it, right? But And that's what I try to do. But then you go down there and it's like, too cool. So I'd have to say it was that in C2. But besides that, uh, I know there's a beer from back home in Canada called Fat Tug, and I'm really itching for one of those right now. It's just a, uh, like, you know, Canadian IPA, heavy on the malts, 
but just like, you know, West Coast hops, and I kind of missed that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, good answer. very good answer. Very good answer. Uh, ben DeVale, before we get underway with sort of talking about the first beer in the pack, interested yeah. to hear from you why you wanted these three breweries in the pack, and if you can, explain why 10, 11, and 12 were the appropriate spots for them without giving too much away about what we're going to be drinking, even though we know they're already on tap out <laughs> at Carwin Cellars in Preston. <laughs> We do know now because, well, the pack officially uh, finished yesterday if you went uh, day by day. Um, but to answer your question in terms of why these brewers, I mean, they're three of the best brewers in the country, in my opinion. And I've got a, had a great relationship through Carwin with working with all three of them over the last few years. And um, I think that would have been... Kind of pissed off if they missed out, to be honest. So. <laughs> Although Chris did do me a huge favour because he wasn't initially in and then he filled the last spot. So I, I owe you, buddy. <laughs> That's a, I'm number, we're number 13. <laughs> it's a good answer and we certainly know there's a lot of firebombing going on in Melbourne at the moment and so we don't want to risk anything that would incur the wrath of unhappy brewers uh, who have access to accelerants. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, time for us to kick off. Let's go to our first beer. I'm dying to talk about this because I'm really enjoying uh, drinking the Black Spot from Spotty Dog. Um, so, yeah, let's begin by by asking Clint... Tell us about the beer. Give us a little, give us a little bit of rundown on what it is and what it should taste like. Um, yeah, so we did a we did a Schwarz beer. Um, my head brewer couldn't join us tonight, uh, Riley, but he um, he went to brewing school in Germany. Um, so we have, you know, Spotty Dog's been known for big IPAs for most of our time. Um, since Riley joined us um, to take over the new facility. Um, we had a little deal going when I interviewed him that he said, I want to have a lager program. And I said, I love drinking lager because all I drink is Mr. Banks foam. And, you know, I need to stop doing that. Um, so, you know, we needed our own. I switched to Albert, Albert Blue for a while down in Tassie. So the brewery was always had Albert Blue in the fridge. Um, and eventually when he was sort of ready to brew um, our first lager, um, we, we took off with export. Sounds weird to be talking about, given, you know, we've got black spot in our hand. Um, but what we've done with this Schwarzbier is Riley is a really big hater of Schwarzbier. Um, <laughs> he, he hates that it wins comps. He hates that it wins awards. Um, so this beer was a, a little bit of a, uh, a fuck you to the brewing industry in a way. Um, and so those who look at the very base of the can will see a little clue there which is the ingredients to this beer are uh, export, which is our base beer, and cinema. So what's cinema? Cinema is a, a product from Viamin, um that's basically concentrated, um, concentrated carafe, I think. comes in a liquid form. It's black. You pour it in beers and they become black IPAs, which suck. And they also become Schwarz beers, which are excellent. Um, so Riley and I sat down in the brewery one afternoon. Um, we had a, um, a 40 heck tank of export, uh, lagering and he grabbed a jug of it and he poured some cinema in and he was just like, I hate to admit it, but this is pretty damn good. Um, and I was like, yeah, you said you'd never put out a Schwarzbier though. And he was like, mm, I'd put it out if we were allowed to put that on the label. And I said, no one would let us do that. And then I mentioned Ben Duval, um, <laughs> who would let us do something so silly. Um, so yeah, this beer, 
is essentially our export lager with cinema added, lagered for a few extra weeks, um, which I'm assuming will get some untapped hate at some stage soon, which is great. Um, and, yeah, it's really just, you know, our expression of our lager with a little bit of uh, cheeky roasty chocolate added to it. Um, now, that's not to take away from the beer at all um, and probably to, to jump into the beer a little bit more, I have to talk about the base mm. beer. Yeah, please. So the base beer is probably the recipe at our brewery that I'm most proud of. Um, most of my recipes are the big IPAs. Um, Riley had full control over this. He was like, I want to be able to do whatever I want for this lager. And I said, look, I need a lager for the tap room. I'm comfortable with that. But what he sort of pitched to me was something that turned out, I think, to be really special. So this beer is made with only Australian ingredients. So there are no imported floor malted pills. There's no imported, you know, Euro hops. This is a 100% unmodified Pilsen malt from Voyager Malt, the good mates up there. Mm. It's double decocted because that's the only way we could get it to work. Um, we have a gas-fired three-vessel system, so we can we can do silly things. So it's double decocted. Um, we only use HBA hops, so it's Ella and Topaz, um, and we don't filter it whatsoever, so it's just lagered. Um, I think the fact that that is even surprising, that they're all Australian ingredients, and Bluestone pills on use, um, so mm-hmm. Melbourne guys. Great. The fact that it's all Australian ingredients and tastes so Euro... Mm is exactly what I want in our house lager. But the other thing is no one can give a shit. So people can drink that beer, enjoy it for what it is. It's our number one seller in the tap room. A lot of people don't know that story, but the people who do come through the brewery and hear that story, and when you tell them that, hey, this is not made from imported ingredients, they're like, oh, why would you make it from imported ingredients? Mm. It it managed to achieve some lager hype, which is... Kind of a new thing over the last 12 months, but we had a lot of customers reaching out to us telling us to, to get the export in. So, mm. Yeah, we, oh. we, we've been super pleased with it. Um, to me, it's like, it's something like, you know, you can just enjoy it for what it is. But also, to me, it's like quite a special sort of little mission of ours, um, which started with trying to do something similar in Stouts with Canvent last year. Um, but to me, it's it's kind of wild the amount of ingredients we already import to make good beers. Mm. Um, like, you know, um, we're talking about Frey before. Like, Frey is one of the best beers in Australia, but it's bourbon barrels. And bourbon barrels are amazing, but they come from the States. Like, you know, down in Tassie, whiskey barrels. So I think having that conversation be about, like, how can we do something that's uniquely Australian that tastes Euro and tastes like something that, you know, my, my family's Austrian, like, I really crave a Euro-tasting beer. And the first time I tried export, I was just like, that's awesome. Like, it's mm. Australian, but it's also, you know, Euro in that way. Can, can I ask, the desire to have the lager preceding this, was that because of your heritage or was that because you just thought it was time in the market? Because it's been really interesting. You know, the podcast has been around for four or five years we feel like we've been asking lager questions often as one of the first questions of the night for that for that time. And yet yeah. in the last 12, 18 months, the rise of quality lagers in particularly the Melbourne market, but particularly the Australian market, is just yeah. obvious to everyone now. Yeah, and I think like beer nerds, it's easy for us to like wax lyrical about lagers and like on podcasts and stuff. 
but what you need to see is like actual sales of it. So I think there's some pretty pretty good players leading the way there. Like down in Tasmania, you've got Albert Brewing or previously Bowcamp. Um, they were doing some pretty special stuff down here, pushing pushing some really good lager out. Um, you know, the Banks the Banks lager series, so uh, City Life um, and um, Foam. Like we we were buying we were buying cases of Foam, and then our local got Foam, and we're like, oh, even better. And then Northern Foam hit the can vent and everyone lost their shit. And I was like, oh, that's so badass. Um, <laughs> they didn't lose their shit in a good way necessarily. Not everybody. Oh, I mean, every brewer in Australia was just like, hell yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, but I think like, I think, you know, we're finding more and more of the crowd that we didn't expect to want to drink lagers, like the heavy nerds, uh, like, you know, re-evolving back to lagers, like the whole, you know, pale ale and then and then you hit big IPAs and then you hit stouts and then you hit sours and then you become a big boy or a big girl and you get back into lagers. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like personally, I like drinking them. It's, we were buying Albert Blue and stocking Cool Room at, at the brewery, which is like, you know, knocking off for a shift and opening up someone else's beer. It's kind of silly, um, but it's delicious. Mm. Mm. Shit, yes. And I'm happy to say that I've just been tagged in the first... Uh, it's been a while since I've been tagged in an untapped uh, beer review and um, just had the first one of those come through. It, it was a very nice number, I think you'll find, Clint, but I won't preempt that. Oh, nice. On, mm. shout, out to, uh, shout out to a few of the chonk donkeys who have been, who have been tapping us in and uh, saying that it was a bit thin. Um, not sure if you want your lagers to be that thick, um, but, I mean, everything's got to be thick these days, so... We do apologise. We'll try and add 40 grams a litre of cinema next time. And uh, Chonk Donkey will be a T-shirt available in the Cool Room uh, merch pack you know, very soon. Yeah, good, good. All right, so you you keep on mentioning this thing that non-beer nerds have no idea what you're talking about. What is cinema? What is... Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, well it's, I remember it's, cinema. <laughs> it, was, it was a golden age in the 1930s as we moved from black and white to colour. The talkies <laughs> began. I could go on, Warren. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure you could, David. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, but, that, like, it, yeah, it, so, so what I call was it's liquid and it's hmm. obviously black. Yeah, uh, so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a, it's, you know, you could almost call it like a brewing additive. You could call it, you could call it an adjunct, I reckon. Oh, yeah. my first adjunct um, mm. it's it's basically um, I think it's basically Kara special or Carafa or something um, that they you know the Germans take a batch and just make you know a wort out of it and then concentrate it the hell down but they also filter it and debitter it um, so if you imagine it's brewers food coloring but also has some like yummy chocolate flavors oh, yeah. yeah right. Okay. So yeah, it's very naughty. I don't know. I don't know if the if the deeds at guys or um, yeah, it's, it does the job, man. It's great. Yeah. So, oh, there you go. Is it a common thing? Because I genuinely haven't heard of it before. It's probably, but that's, you know, yeah, it's probably a nice question to ask the banks and deeds guys. You guys, what beers do you have that use similar? If you're not, if you're willing to to. Let Quite it. a few of our stouts, like it's a good color fixer. So if you see something going through the water and you know it's just not going to come out on the other side in the kettle, that, like, you know, the color you want it, you just, you know, throw a little bit of Cinnamar in there. Hmm. A lot of macro guys actually use it for color fixing on things that just will have a single malt in it or whatnot. Hmm. Well, like, you know, blend some in on the way, like through the fuge, just to color correct it. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, yeah, we're, we're not generally going to use it as like, you know, a key thing to do, but I just think it was too funny to not do it in a Schwarzbier um, because, you know, to be honest, like those Schwarzbiers we see winning like AIBA awards and stuff um, from some of the big guys like Four Pines, you know, you can be pretty certain that that's what they used. I mean, Riley comes from technical brewing at Lion Nathan and Asahi. Um, I'm sure he used it there. Um, but, I mean, to me, drinking the product, it's quite delicious. And oh, you know, yeah. it was a bit of fun. Um, if we hadn't put that on the label, would anyone know? Um, but you can be guaranteed, like, there will be untapped check-ins that we, like, you know, use cinema, that's cheating, um, you know, just the same as you lo- use lactose, that's cheating. Like, it's such a silly thing. I'm looking forward to going and checking those out. Um, uh- First time tonight, we've uh, got some of the questions coming up being typed into the Zoom room. As we always say, it's one of the best things about being live with us on a Thursday night or Sunday afternoon is that you can uh, type your questions in and we can ask them on your behalf direct to the brewers. Carl, and I think Carl's been here for all of the uh, black box tastings. Thank you, Carl, for the support. Uh, Carl's asked, is is that an ingredient that you can get and use on a homebrew scale or is it just sort of something that you sort of need to use in a bigger scale just to get the, the levels right, I guess. Uh, no, it's pretty versatile. I, th- I think you can actually use it on, on a homebrew scale. Um, yeah, we, we bought quite a big container of it. Um, but, you know, we were sitting in the bar with a couple of syringes just di- like dialing it in and playing with it. It does, it does change. So um, we did it in a lagering tank um, and it did, it did change a lot over sort of the few extra weeks we left it there. Um, but you know, you can, you can play with doses. You know, we went down to four grams a liter and it was just pointless. We went all the way up to 16 and it was like a bit silly. Um, so yeah, it's, it was definitely like very easy to play with. Um, yeah, I mean, I imagine like some of those black IPAs, um, you know, I don't drink a lot of them, but I'm sure they exist. Um, but I think back to like the Coinda black IPA days and stuff Mm. like those classic, black IPAs that didn't have that really harsh bitterness, like they could benefit from using cinema, um, you know, instead of maybe just sparging out those dark grains to sort of avoid that astringency. So, I mean, this has got it like taken out already. Yeah, right. I love it. It's, yeah, that's fascinating. I love learning about new brewing stuff. It just, yeah, really just blows my mind how much is out there. And this one sounds like it's just one of those which which average Beer people don't don't come across all that often. Um, don't be, what, what a, give us give us an idea. Given that that uh, Spy Dog is is new to us, and I haven't, and to be honest, I haven't seen as much Spotty Dog as I want to drink. And Shannon, our, one of our cool room regulars, has just commented that that uh, Spotty Dog beers um, blow him away. Uh, yeah. Um, all the every spotty dog beer he's had is blowing him away. Thanks, Shannon, for the comment. I'm sure. That's, is, that, um, is that? I'm guessing from the nice photo that must be Shannon Giles. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We don't like to differentiate between our Shannons, but you're quite correct. <laughs> awesome. I can actually see. I think Wolsey down there might be drinking a spotty dog IPA. Yeah, you are. Oh, wonder. Oh, Citra. He's always Look got a that. few stashed away. Um. um Dark, yeah. What, what's your what is your past experience with dark beers? Do you guys do you guys smash one out over winter like most breweries do? Yeah. Um, so we actually did a, a sort of dark beer afternoon a few weeks back where we went back um, and 
We've been saving all of our um, barrel aged Russian Imperial Stouts for the last um, uh, four years, four or five years, um, and not releasing them. Um, so really difficult as like a contract slash gypsy brewer, whichever term you like to use, um, to do barrel aged Stouts because, you know, you have to convince one of the brewers to like let you keep your racks there and stuff. So real pain in the ass. But we have managed to convince Stuart Ocho um, and the guys at Shambles to keep some barrels over the years. Um, so... The other day, we just decided to sort of open the doors at the brewery. Um, so we cracked um, a 2019 bourbon barrel-aged um, Riz called Family, and then we cracked um, four different variants of that from, the, you know, the preceding three years. Um, something we're really big on, and we've kicked off, and we kicked it off with the guys at Carwin, um, who obviously have Last Word Brewing as well, um, in the can vent last year, um, is uh, something we're calling Southern Imperial Stouts. So... The topic I'm really passionate about um, is using Australian whiskey barrels. Mm -hmm. I'm down in, here in Hobart. I get, you know, Overeem distilling barrels for free, basically, if I drive down the road. Um, you know, I love bourbon barrels. I love bourbon barrel-aged beers. Like, yeah, the Frey beers, some of my favourite beers ever in Australia. Um, but it just it doesn't make sense to me to not have, like, not to use this beautiful resource we have down here, like with Sully's and, and I mean, even the smaller distillers as well. Um, so we've really tried to experiment over the like sort of last three or four years until we got our new space and could really go ham. So we've been blending quite a lot of beer um, for some years now. Um, a big portion of last year's um, Carwin Canvent that we did, The Last Dog, which was sort of a, oh, there it is on the screen, um, which was a, a collab with Last Word Brewing. Um, so that was a big um, sort of close to 13% IPA we did. Uh, um, sorry, a 13% stout. Um, that was all pre-barrel. So the rest of that beer went into barrel, um, into over end barrels. Um, we also hit that with like 360 kilos of Tasmanian raspberries and a tiny bit of sea salt. Um, so we're, what we're trying to do and we've been working on for a little while is um, trying to, I guess, come up with these Southern Imperial Stouts where we take like very Tasmanian ingredients, particularly the barrels, um, and try and create, um, you know, our version of a Russian Imperial Stout that lends to those barrels. Because unfortunately, when you brew a big riz and put it into a whiskey barrel, and, and you know, some of the brewers here might understand this with like Starwood barrels or whatever you're getting in Vic, um, the whiskey barrels down here are super aggressive. Um, so you can be sitting in an overhand barrel for like four months and it's almost undrinkable at the end. Um, so a huge passion project of ours that we're you know, just starting to get a bit more time into is, is finding, um, finding the right balance of beer, and whether that's all barrel-aged or blending fresh beer to create these sort of Southern Imperial Stouts um, and really sort of push the use of those local barrels and local ingredients. There's a ripper question here in the, in the chat from Simple Homebrew, and thank you for joining us, uh, Mr. Simple or Mr. Home or Mr. Brew, whatever the correct phrase uh, there is. Look, it, it, and it's a ripper question. We've touched on this throughout this sort of series in the black box, uh, but particularly, I think, for home brewers and others who sort of love the idea of being able to barrel-age things, but because we don't get that opportunity, perhaps we just sort of don't understand how these things work. Um, how do you get hold of the barrels, and how many times can they be used? Other brewers have sort of described using them for different beers or even the way they move from wine barrels to bourbon barrels to sherry barrels and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Particularly down in Tassie, how do those sort of... Lineages work. Well, we're really lucky. So, you know, we have some like world class distilleries that drive down the road. They love beer. We love whiskey. We like hanging out. 
Um, so, you know, our process to get the barrels is drive to Overeem, say g'day to Jane and Mark, grab the barrels, drive off, um, which is very, very, you know, blessed and lucky. Um, but a, a sort of a fun story, um, we did a beer with Overeem uh, in 2022, which was the first with using 100-litre barrels from them. So we filled eight barrels, um, sat that for, I think, like nine and a half months, and it was already pretty aggressive, blended it, um, asked them about the barrels, and they said, you know, can we have some of the barrels back? So I gave them two of the barrels. They didn't want more. They said, you know, we're going to finish some of our spirit in that for a few months to see how it develops, and then we'll release the stout cask. Um, and then they released that um, stout cask, uh, Wolsey, I think Wolsey managed to snag a bottle, cheeky boy. Um, and it sold out in like two or three minutes online. And I got a call, like a really hurried call from Mark, and he was like, mate, we need the rest of those barrels. Like it's really, really fantastic whiskey. It smells like Pedro Jimenez. It tastes like Christmas. Like it's it's great, which was really awkward because I destroyed the other six barrels because, you know, basically once we've put the stout in them, um, and this was all pre-owning our new brewery, um, really hard to do much more as a second use. Um, so, yeah, something we're experimenting with, um, you know, second use on those barrels, but, you know, you know, perhaps a barley wine, something along those lines. Um, but sort of the relationship we have now is as soon as we've filled those barrels, the day they get emptied, they get picked up and refilled with spirit um, because that that spirit that's going into those barrels, those barrels are leaving sort of, you know, the big hundreds are leaving like four to eight kilos heavier. So it's soaking in the beer. Um, and they're producing really great spirit afterwards. So, I mean, that's sort of like a little cool symbiotic thing that, you know, instead of paying sort of, you know, three to $600 a barrel for a bourbon barrel, mm. I'm getting free over in barrels and then over in getting to produce a new sort of spirit at the same time. Um, so there is actually um, a couple of, a couple of barrels of last dog over in spirit um, from last year that is still aging at the moment, apparently. There's, there's our 720 scoop. That's something to look out for, I think. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Clint, you mentioned uh, Frey as one of your favourite dark beers. Um, do you have memories of, of some of early dark beers which have, which have I suppose, been a, been a benchmark or, or really kind of sat in your mind as, as a quality beer? Um. Yeah, look, I mean, like, Bourbon County Stout, obviously, um, and all the variants of that. Um, I mean, I've been pretty lucky to drink a lot of really great American stouts. Um, love Russian Imperial Stout, love Bourbon Barrel Age Stout. I just think that Frey sits in my mind, and probably Dark Motives, um, the Frey variant, is probably, like, one of the most important beers in sort of the Australian beer evolution. Um, I think I think the first Frey, and then, you know, even the 2020... One, I think, that followed it the second year fray was so special. Um, and then Dark Motives, the, you know, the, was it a single barrel or two barrels, Benny? I believe it was two. Yeah, two barrels. So, yeah, yeah Dark Motives, which was the, the collab for, was it for one of the these boxes or something else? I can't recall. Uh, uh, Darker Motives, yeah. I think we did it for, I think it was a Gap beer. The, that was the beer glass, the the Denver, oh, the Denver, Denver and Lily uh, specialty beer glass. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, okay, yeah, oh, yeah. And then darker came afterwards, I think. Yeah, because they wanted us to make it again, but they're barrels, right? So how do we do that? <laughs> A lot more chocolate. 
But yeah, I mean, I, I could talk about like overseas beers, but I mean, yeah, really for me, like Frey was that first Australian beer where I went, oh shit, we can do it. Yeah. Um, and you know, the the Deeds crew, I think the the Deeds Barrel program is probably like the best going around. Hawkers have got a really strong program. Um, I've still got some naughty bank stouts sitting in my fridge. I think I've got a prestige still, Chris. Um, I like to hoard a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just you can't beat you can't beat the first taste of fray. Um, it's a pretty special moment. Um, if you were to brew Black Spot again, getting back to the beer, mm-hmm. which this is the first can David and I like. David and I have been sharing a can, trying to keep everything on the straight and narrow. This that's is what actually, we're known for. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, keeping everything straight and narrow. Um, this is uh, this is the first can we've actually finished, which is which. Yeah, pretty good. Um, I like it, the cover it, drive reference. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. Um, do, if you were to brew it again, would you do anything differently? If you guys would get, have another shot at this specifically, just putting it to the side. Yeah, were, were there any tweaks? Uh, we've, we're already brewing it again. Oh. Um, so, yeah, the funniest part about this is that, you know, my head brewer hates Schwarz beers um, and everyone in the team loves this beer, so... Um, yeah, we're already we've already got it in the schedule. Um, not for cans, just for the tap room. Love um, it. But yeah, I, I just I think it's really fun. Um, gives us another chance to talk about um, export, which is you know very passionate for us. Um, but yeah, no, we, I wouldn't change anything. Really, really happy with it. Um, you know, I wish it was thicker with seven C's to appease the lords, but um, you know, sorry, lager. Um. Why does yeah head brewer hate Schwartz beer? Like I'm, I can't. I think I understand, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm... look, look, I don't understand it, but I hate black IPAs. So I just sort of we both just nod and smile and and recognise game. Um, honestly, he thinks they're a bit of a joke because of cinema, um, and he doesn't like that they win all the comps. And that's why I mean we've just we've just entered Black Spot into um, the Indie Beer Awards because um, he wants to see if it does better than the Lager, um, which which would be hilarious because it will. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's it's one of those. He said it's a love hate thing for everyone in Germany um, in brewing school, so it was sort of a fun one there. And I mean, how good is it that you know you can have Carwin put together a pack like this and completely support? something fun like this and a beer to break up the pack a little bit. I mean, mm. I love drinking big beers as much as the next person, but a little a little palate cleanse is not so bad. Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Excellent. I reckon that's a pretty good point for us just to have a little pause to clean our glasses and get ready to talk about the Banks beer. Uh, but I'm sure we're not going to lose you on the way, Clint. We want to hear that voice, that uh, that wonderful Late night talk back voice just going, I've got a little story for you about that. <laughs> Appreciate it. And, and thanks for having me on. This has been really lovely. I do have to go put my daughter to bed, but I will be back. Awesome, mate. We understand the family work balance. Well, we're one third of the way through our final podcast here in the Black Box Tastings Uh what a beautiful beer we started out with. I feel like these are probably the beers that are in the best order out of all the ones we've done in the black box. We're accelerating, uh, we're reaching a crescendo. Mr. Wu, are you ready to get us underway with the banks? Yeah, I think I am. It's, it's great. I'm like, so first of all, let's just 
while while it's in my mind, let's remind everyone listening on the podcast that um, take your beers out early. Um, hmm. Give them a chance to come up to temperature because, uh, yeah, a lot of the beers will will definitely definitely um, improve or or be in a better presentable condition for that. And I my gut is if we talk to Chris, that um, this beer is probably one of those because as it's been sitting in my glass for the last few minutes, it's it, already it's it's changing and evolving. Um, Chris, tell us about the whiskey, spice, and everything nice. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's a imperial pastry stout. Um, uh, it's pretty much like most of our imperial pastry stouts all start with uh, a similar base recipe. <clears throat> Um, and then heavily adjunct. Um, this one, a little bit different that we use some barrel aged uh, product that we had. Ben mentioned earlier that we were uh, a late inclusion, which was actually a little, a little bit of a blessing for us because we went, oh yeah, we've got those barrels sitting there that we were planning on doing something with. So it was only supposed to be sitting in the barrels for um, nine to 12 months and it ended up being 18 uh, in the end for those ones. Um, and our biggest issue with not releasing that beer when we wanted to was it was a little bit thin. We put, you know, uh, I think it was about a 10.5% stout in it originally. Um, uh, but it just the barrel aging process just dried the beer out a little bit too much. Um, so we needed to brew uh, a second beer um, to sort of blend back and give that beer a bit more, a bit more fullness and roundness. Uh, so, and we, one of our most popular beers that we've done in the last couple of years was um, uh, Ivy League, which was a barrel-aged pastry stout. Um, so it just – a lot of people go down the whole barrel-aged stout and don't do the adjunct and lactose part, but mm-hmm. it seems to be something that is a little bit more our niche or sought after from stuff that we do as opposed to just doing sort of standard uh, barrel-aged beers. But, um, yeah, this one is – conditioned on toasted coconut, which we love and use quite a lot. Um, If you love coconut, you love it. And if you don't, you don't, and we do. Um, Vanilla, we generally use a similar sort of vanilla for a lot of our stouts um, because mainly because it's not, it's a good vanilla, but also we can get it pretty excessively. Um, And then we really wanted, have wanted to play around with chili for a long time in beer, but picking the right one and and there's there's not a lot of chili going on in this beer it was a bit more when we first packaged it um but i think i personally think it it's it doesn't necessarily bring a heat but it brings sort of more of like an earthiness or like a roasty like roasty pepperness um that uh those mexican chilies sort of bring to it but um i would have preferred a little bit more heat in the background because one of my favorites that this beer was sort of a, a, like a version of is probably maybe like the prairie bomb with, with a little bit of the chili kicking on in that. But um, yeah, I think the beers come out really nice. Uh, mm. But yeah, it was, it was a good opportunity for us to uh, not have to blend such a big volume of the beer when uh, Ben Jabs called and asked us to be part of the black box because we can make this one and then do a couple of other variants as well. So, well, how much notice, like, so you being one of the last to go to, to get notice that you're, for this project, how much yeah. notice does Ben give you if you don't mind? Me? Uh, ben not much. Me, he <laughs> ran me in April. Um, oh yeah, wow. 
Late late April was it bad? I think. Did he ring or did I he mean, text and say, "Can I give you a call?" Was there something in there that might have just been a gentle sort of? No, no, no. He rang, but I know whenever Ben Duval rings, you you answer. <laughs> to, to be fair, um, Chris said Banks have had a, a pretty good run in carbon projects, yeah. and um, they were in the the black box last year with a, another fanta- fantastic uh, barrel aged adjunct stout. So, you know, they were never too far off the initial list, I'll tell you that much. I feel like the stress we put you guys through sometimes, like delivering these beers, like we all kind of owe you one anyway. Yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's what that's it's what he was to me the other yeah. night. It's it's a bit of a rush actually. Those those two days before packing, is shit gonna arrive on time? There's 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 really nothing you can do at that point, so it's in the, the lap of the gods. Um, what's the, what's the amount of time ideally you want to give a brewery for, for something like this? Something like this, probably Mm. two years. (laughs) (laughs) Did did anyone get two years? Uh, there's been... Did anyone in the room get two years? Some of the beers have nearly been in barrel for two years, but... Yeah, but that's, yeah. But, look, I'd say some of the beers are custom made for the black box others are beer beer in barrel and giving given a purpose like like this beer from banks mm. so can, can i go back to the beer for a second sorry to take but but chris i'm fascinated people who are in the zoom room tend to be the ones who know their way around a brewery know their way around these processes really well but for lots of people who listen to the podcast, I know they're sort of newer to experiencing complex beers like this, thinking their way through the flavours, but also just trying to understand the brewing process. So can you talk us a little bit, you've sort of said there are essentially sort of two beers in the barrel, but talk about, you know, when the first beer was created, when they were put into barrels, what uh, adjuncts were put in when, and for instance, this was prompted in my mind by the chilli, you know, what point does the chilli go in and how much confidence do you have in how it will come out at the end, even when it will get, when it goes in? Yeah. So, uh, this, the first beer was brewed. Yeah. Um, what, my math is not that good. 18 months, probably 20 months ago now. Um, or no, yeah, a bit more than that. Um, and then we put, we used half of, so that, yeah, that, that beer is actually the beer that keeps on giving. Uh, we brewed our first beer from that was for um, Brewski in Queensland had a box for Christmas. Um, I can't remember what that box was called, but we brewed half a beer and that, that went on to vanilla and coffee for them. And then the other half of the beer uh, we wanted to grab. We'd done bourbon barrels in the past a couple of times um, and we never used Starwood barrels Um but, you know, we like Starwood whiskey, so everyone does use Starwood in Melbourne, but thought, hey, let's give it a crack. We could get them at the right time. It was accessible and easy, so we just put the rest of the beer in that and said, yeah, we'll get to it in nine months' time, and then that turned out to be 18. Um, but then, yeah, obviously, as I said, we need to brew a, a bigger beer, um, so we brewed a much bigger Imperial Stout. Um, I think it ended up being about 13 and a half percent or so um that stout and then we blended it back but uh, not just higher in abv we needed that beer to finish far far higher in gravity so that beer uh finished at 
it got it was thirteen and a half percent, but the beer finished at twenty Play-Doh. So it's like a very very sweet beer. Like it's mm-hmm. it's in the range of where most sort of double IPAs would start before that ferment. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's we. I mean, I think we've actually put some. We've got a beer that we brewed a thing, and after this, that we finished at twenty Play-Doh as well to put in some barrels. Um, that we hopefully won't blend and just hope that the barrel thinning process does what we wanted, um, that we've sort of aimed to achieve with what we've done with blending these two beers. But, um, yeah, so basically, yeah, we brewed that second beer, which, you know, doesn't take that long, only a couple of weeks to get that one sort of down for the blending process. Um, And then what did we do? We, I think we centrifuged the blend beer onto coconut and vanilla, and then, uh, so we just toast the coconut in house on our pizza oven at the brewery. Um, we get Tahitian Miller and chuck it in a blender and then chuck it in a, a Hessian bag and throw it in the tank and let it sit on for, for a little bit of time. But then the chili was one that was the harder one because we've never really played with chili before. So we actually ended up sort of adding four different amounts of chili, but it still wasn't enough. But then because we were late on the beer um i think we delivered it on the day that was required we we just had to take it off the chili um which is also one of the reasons that out of the big imperial stouts i think this one probably has the least amount of head retention that we would have on on a a stout like this which for an adjunct stout it depends on who you ask i don't really think it matters for that sort of that sort of beer personally but um, it had to sit on the coconut lot a lot longer than we would normally sit it on. And we do toast the coconut to try and kill, like get the oils out of the beer. But um, yeah, obviously sitting sitting on coconut and stuff for that much longer, it's it's mm. going to do stuff to sort of head retention and, and all those good things. So um, yeah, we basically set up a brink on like a, a keg brink on the side and we would, you know, sterilize the chilies, chuck them in, send the beer onto that 50 liters into the keg brink and then send it back in after 24, 48 hours and did that four times until we, until we got any heat because we, we really didn't want to go really hot with the chilies um, mm. and go down like, you know, the, you know, the higher sort of um, what's called Scoville rating, uh, Scoville yeah. rating chili sort of stuff. So we wanted it to just be more of a background sort of earthiness. So I think it does bring that earthiness, but it would be nice if there was a little, just a little bit more of a kick there, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, while we're under the chilies, I'm just trying to think. I can't remember a Deeds beer that's used chili, but is either of you, either Deeds or or Spotty Dog, use chili in any of their products? Uh, Deeds has last year for um, Infernal Agreement. We did a BBA for um, what was it? it? Was I guess that was our Gabs beer actually? Can you think of it? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, in my opinion, we use a little bit much. The weird thing about chili is that it grows in time. Like just the uh, capsaicin that like, you know, causes the heat, it seeps out of whatever organic material is left over in the beer. And it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. Just the alcohol draws it out kind of a thing. And uh, I've had that experience in the past, and it's certainly happening in that can too. So I'd say drink it you know, sooner than later before it uh, burns your tongue off. It's funny because count. Jim Thais, Moriarty, and I, who is in the room with us tonight, have brewed some Carolina Reaper beers over time. And um, I think that was our experience as well, particularly sort of chocolate stouts and things like that, that they're very drinkable at the beginning. Towards the end, the 
capsicum just keeps on coming through more and more, still delicious uh, and still the same amount of impact all the way along, but the drinkability is much higher earlier on um, when the chocolate and some of those other ingredients is masking some of what's going on in the heat. Chili doesn't belong in chili doesn't belong in beer. Oh, even <laughs> in the black IPA, I chili, love it. Chili is delicious. Chili is life. Hot sauce is life, but it does not belong in beer. That being wow. said, that being <laughs> said, Infernal Agreement was stunning and annoyingly so. Um, I haven't had the I haven't had the the Banks beer yet because it's at the brewery and I haven't been allowed to go to the brewery because I'm sick and the team don't want me there, but. It has my name on it, so I'm very excited that you didn't manage to get too much chili in there. Um, I, I think, like, I think having vanilla and coconut and then like a touch of chili would be delicious. I think the problem with chili, and I take Prairie de Bomb off the table here, is it becomes very like vegetal very quickly, um, or it's like stone brewing crime and punishment where it's just pointless, like it's just hot for the sake of being hot. Um, I think it takes like a very deft hand to do chili right. So I'm kind of excited that you're under pressure, Chris, because that probably means you put the right amount in. Um, but I mean, let's just keep chili out of beer. It's just a bit silly, isn't it? Oh, this is beautiful. Though. Love this. <laughs> I, I'm I can really add, jealous yeah. now. I'm kind of with. I'm kind of with Chris too. This, if this just had a touch more, like it's it's a really faint hum in the background. But if it had a touch more. Mm. It just would, yeah. And I'm a chili fiend, so I'm yeah, a complete hand up, up if you used to own a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a chili fiend, so I kind of love the idea of chili and beer. I'm chili and everything, fuck it. Yeah. Um, yeah chili, chili's great. Can I ask Chris a question? Yeah, of course you when, can, please. When you, when you were talking about the Starwood barrel um, and it really thinning out heavy, were you talking about that beer finishing at 20 Play-Doh and then it was thin after the barrel aging, or was the 20 Play-Doh beer the one you were blending back? No, the twenty was the blend beer. So the first, oh, okay. yeah. the first beer was only at ten Play-Doh that went in. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And it just, yeah, it just, it just lacked. There was there was plenty of whiskey character, but it just lacked. Yeah, of. yeah, cool. It was still oh, very that... drinkable, but for a, to to call it a barrel aged stout, people just yeah. Yeah, it's got to be thick these days. Otherwise, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, even even at ten Play-Doh, like you could make a second beer out of it, but. 20, oh, yeah. I guess, makes more sense. But yeah, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, great question in the room because it's something that whizzes around my head. And I keep on forgetting. We've had some good people answer this question in the past. We've had some great people answer this question yeah. in the past. But I still can't get it in my mind. What's Play-Doh? Uh, yeah. Anyone who wants to have a go? There, yeah, let's go, Chris. Mm. It's, his, it's his time to shine. Yeah, so it's a gravity reading. So it's like big, uh, specific gravity is for every four is one Play-Doh. So if it's well, if it's ten Plato, it's ten forty, and if it's twenty Plato, it's ten eighty. And what's really interesting is that some breweries put this on their cans, particularly I think in the US and other places. It's sort of a much more known bit of terminology. In Australia, we don't see it that much, particularly on packaging. No. Nah. Nah. Hmm. Um, if you were to Chris, if you were to Brew this again. It sounds like there's some tweaks that you would make. What? Are, yeah, can you let us in on some of the tweaks? Would you? Would you actually leave it now? Drinking it now, would you leave it on chilies for longer if you had the option? Um, I like. I do quite like the character because we tasted it before it went onto the coconut and vanilla. I do like the earthy character 
and I don't think I'd go as far as saying it's vegetal, but like sort of I understand what Clint was saying. Like if you were to do probably a lot more of that, but I like the character and the flavor that this chili brings because it definitely it's there is flavor there before like that wasn't there before we added added the chili. So I, I, yeah, I would like it a little bit hotter, um, but I don't know that I'd necessarily go for a different form of chili. I think I think we chose the right chili. We just we 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 ended up using I think quite a lot more than I expected that we would use. I think we ended up using about four kilos worth of those chilies. Um, wow. Whereas originally we were thinking put 500 grams in and just see how we go. But mm. we've never, we haven't played with chili before. So, and even barrel aging, you know, we're not, we're not a massive barrel aging um, brewery. We, we do it occasionally, probably sort of once a year um, and like to play around with it a bit and learn from it. Sorry, we've, yeah, that was, we've, for the last couple of recordings, we've had, um, yeah, we've had little uh, gremlins. I promise that, was, that wasn't my soundboard, I promise. <laughs> I do. It's awesome I can, if you have that, though. I, I have, I have got one. If you want, if you want me to get involved, like a, we can, we can play some little steppy stuff. Oh, cool. <laughs> we're 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 not nearly that sophisticated. All right, I'm going to. But, but no, what I like is the fact that they. No, no, we'll leave that bit in because they stuck around for a bit. The conversation was clearly interesting enough. They'd been in the room for five or ten minutes. Really? So welcome, and uh, it's great that we've educated them a little bit along the way there. I yeah. reckon that's probably so, co-hosts. I reckon we probably kicked the right people. It's just so, and we'll see if we haven't. Um. All right. Sorry about the interruption. I'm should I throw in a clap. I'm going to throw in a clap. Just I'm keeping it all in, Warren. This is oh, yeah? this Sweet. is just like Great. you know. We talk about what happens behind the scenes in the breweries. What happens behind the scenes in trying to put together a pack like this. This is what happens behind the scenes when you're trying to make a podcast about beer on a Thursday night live in the Zoom room. Um, Chris, uh, we've been asking a lot of the breweries uh, this question, and I think it's kind of a good question to put uh, put the beer into a place. And this and the the black box is very much about this time of year. Um, where can you see yourself drinking uh, this little number? Where does the the whiskey spice and everything nice kind of fit into your drinking routine? Um, it has already fit in. We had a bonfire here a couple of weekends ago. It was pretty nice sitting out there uh, with some friends drinking that. Um, but I know everyone else has already said by a campfire. And uh, I was going to say the snow, but I listened to Evan the other day steal that from Black Brewery. So I did think about it, and I was thinking Christmas Eve. Uh, chuck on Home Alone and if you really want to get into the mood just keep your aircon on all day real low and then crank your fire up at the end of the day just to, to get into the Northern Hemisphere spirit or your gas log or your, your heater. Uh, I love it. Was was Matthew McConaughey in that movie? He wasn't, was he? <laughs> no, he wasn't in that one. No. no. Go back and check out previous podcasts to understand that reference that little yeah. bit better. Hopefully the remake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, on that note, we might take another quick break 
Well, two-thirds down, one-third to go. We're at our very last beer. I feel a little bit emotional, Mr Warren. Well, I've loved this pack. I've loved the beers in it. By golly, we have something big and tremendous to go out on here. The Deeds Ruinous Arches, it not only brought my running career to an end, my ruinous arches, it's a wonderful uh, description of the beer we've got ahead. Do you want to take us through this beer, Mr Wu? Um, yeah, I'm just going to handball that straight to Curtis. Um, do you want to take us through this beer? So, hold on. In one, so, I'm a little bit of emotional about it all finishing up too. It's been really great. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. One of the things I've really loved about this pack, um, and yeah, very well done to all the brewers and also Ben, um, is that all of the beers, there's such a great variety of beers and these three have absolutely demonstrated that. So Ruinous Arches is a Belgian quad and Imperial Stout blend. Not Which, just any imperial stout, though. Oh, not just any imperial stout. Well, well imperial let's hear the story. Well, let's hear the story. Hey, Curtis, tell us about this beer. Well, the story with this beer starts off with me not actually being in the country. It was actually brewed before I got to Australia. I've only been in Australia for a little over two years now, and they brewed this beer for, I believe, it was the Black Box, like two years ago. Canvan. The Canvan. That's what it would have yeah. been. But yeah, they, they brewed it for that, and it was the uh, Untangling of Chaos quad. And uh, I think they brewed a bit too much, or they just decided to put some up on the racks for uh, somebody else to find later on down the line when they went to greener pastures, you know, somewhere else. You know, it's been Ned and Justin. They're, they're, they're out there somewhere yeah, doing their go, thing. Go back four episodes if you're just listening to this yeah. one and hear Justin's <laughs> voice. But, uh, yeah. It was up on our racks, and uh, if you've ever been to Deeds Brewing, we have uh, quite a bit of, uh, you know, barrel-aged beers up there, and sometimes things get forgotten about. I call them shrapnel, so when we make a beer, we'll take a bunch of stuff off of a certain, um, like, you know, a certain kind of beer that we're trying to make for that time. We have a lot of barrels to choose from, and, uh, you know, things get left behind. So there's a lot of older, older vintages that get left up there, sometimes to their detriment and sometimes for their own benefit, but... uh this is one of the ones that was just like, we had two barrels, well, two and a half barrels that were sitting up on the racks and uh, they just never really got touched. Uh, sometimes beers can get salty when you leave them up there. Like there's all bad things that can happen, but um, came around to it. We were invited into the, uh, you know, the box again this year, thankfully. And uh, I noticed in our barrel tracker that we had uh, two barrels of Entangling of Chaos and a half barrel of um, Untangling Chaos that had been blended in with, um, whatchamacallit, the uh, Fourth Horseman Stout. So every year we did uh, Imperial Stout release, and the year before we did um, the Fourth Horseman. So it was like sort of the end of that series. And we just had a little bit too much, and we decided to, um, yeah, top up that barrel with it just to limit the amount of oxygen that we present in that beer, just make sure that wouldn't go bad. Who knows what might happen? It's something that happens on occasion, not very often. And uh, I decided, like, oh, well, let's bring these quads off the rack and figure out how they taste together. Maybe this would be the perfect thing to actually throw right into the, um, like, the box and 
you know, it tasted great. However, it had one issue, those two barrels that were just purely untangling the chaos. It was so thin, like thin to its own detriment. It tasted like V-Salt, like, and just like mouthfeel as well. It, it tasted like it was um, some sort of distilled spirit just through mouthfeel alone. There's a lot of complexity there and whatnot, but it was quite hot. And then as soon as I uh, decided to blend these barrels with that extra barrel that we had, with the stout, it just added so much body, just added so much for this dark fruit and spice and this Belgian character to actually stand on that I decided like, well, let's just throw all three together because it ends up just being a much better beer. Mm. Can, can you take us through that beer a bit? You've described so much of it there, but literally if we were standing together and for people who are listening on the podcast, hundreds of these packs have gone out. Just talk us through what we should be seeing in the glass, what we should get on the nose, Particularly, like for us, we've had it out of the fridge now for an hour, hour and a half. You know, it's in the glass. What should be there? How's it going to change over the next half hour or so? Well, I like that one guy who just threw up on there. He said it looks like Barks. That's exactly what I said. He's like, yeah, how do I say it doesn't look like Coca-Cola? It absolutely does. It looks like <laughs> some sort of like, that, that's the color you should be seeing. Uh, I wrote down burgundy for my notes. Like, it's going to be a dark burgundy, like somewhat purple if you look towards the edge of the glass there. But, uh, yeah, once again, head retention is not the best on this, how old this beer is and how often we use it. We fuge both of our, uh, like, sorry, both times, going into barrel and out of barrel, just to, like, limit any amount of autolysis that could happen, that being yeast cells breaking down, leaking out into the barrel and creating some sort of salt. So what we did is um, we chose these three barrels. They all tasted, you know, very good. They were all remarkably different as well, but adding them all together to get to the volume that, you know, um, Carwin desired was, uh, it was hard for me because I, I wish I could have released them all separately, but together they, they just worked wonderfully. I, I um, swear nobody at the brewery said this beer was made for you originally. You have to take this for your black box project. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I took it down and I'm like, well, you know, this would be perfect for it because how often do you get a Belgian that's been bourbon barrel aged for, I think it ended up being around 18 to 19 months. Oh, this is amazing. And I think it really speaks to uh, the fact that Deeds has such a mature barrel program now and you have such fantastic stock to choose from for projects like this and for all your releases. They've got such a incredible complexity and depth now. Yeah, it's uh, something that Ned and Justin set up and we're continuing to do. Like, every time we take a barrel down, it gets replaced by something else. Like, we throw up either, I think we have some Maybach up there. We're uh, expanding a little bit more of our pastry stouts that are up there because for the longest time, it was all Imperial stouts. And mm -hmm. that's all we would ever replace it with. But now we're getting a little bit more, um, you know, variety up on those racks. Now also that, uh, as well. Now that uh, I don't know if the listeners know that you've started to release your own whiskey. Yes, uh, I was very on the fence about that whole program, to be honest, uh, before I tried our whiskey. Oh, the 807 scoop. <laughs> Do go on. Uh, just because, like, you know, I, I like my tanks, and I don't want to give my tanks away to people who are trying to, you know, throw lactobacillus in there for reasons and such. And then I tried the whiskey, and I'm like, well... You know, I think you guys can keep on doing what you're doing. And then uh, I came to the realization, well, I can use these barrels as soon as you're done. So not only are we uh, starting to, like, you know, use Australian whiskey barrels, but they're also our own, which I'm really happy and excited to start doing. 
Do you have a chat with the team who are doing the distilling to sort of say how you'd like them to finish or to make any suggestions along the way? Or are you happy just to receive them and then to think what you do with them? Uh, well, with the uh, distilling, it was actually sent off to, I forgot the name of the company. We don't do it through them anymore anyway. Uh, we haven't used them in the past year and a half. So uh, we have a couple of their barrels still up on the racks. Everything that we're filling right now is all our own. But uh, yeah, we're uh, actually making our first mash for our own still this week. Before that, we've been had it uh, distilled off-site. I'm going to hand back to Mr. Wu again in a second, but people who listen to a lot of these podcasts know that quite genuinely for me, when I hear something, I start to taste things associated with it. When you said cola in terms of colour, and <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't seen it, as soon as you said that, I saw it, and now I'm almost starting to taste yeah. sort of there's cola. There's a sarsaparilla, well. I would say, at the end there. And uh, there's, I'd say it finishes on chocolate and sarsaparilla for sure, but... Primarily, it's mostly like a randy V-sop, uh, sorry, a brandy V-sop sort of vibe to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 totally. Yep, I can see that too. Um, gonna, I think a nice question that we often ask is about the disasters that occur in the cool room. Um, have you had any disasters at Deeds or even beforehand uh, when brewing... A dark beer? Did you give you a little story about a dark beer disaster that you've had Neither to... Curtis or Clint have ever had to ask, answer this question before. Yeah. yeah. No, everything's perfect. Always. <laughs> no, no um, honestly, like, all I can see so bad up on the racks all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you pull things down and you're like, what the hell is going on? This is 200 litres of beer. How am I going to use this? Should we even use this? A lot of times not. We dump quite a few barrels very often. Yeah, luckily it's not like, you know, huge amounts. It's acceptable amounts, but, you know, we won't use a bad barrel. But when it's on the cusp of it, that's when adjuncts come in. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like, we'll throw adjuncts into not our best barrels. Like, we'll come out with a release each year, you know, into the fray. It's the best barrels that we have. And it will stand alone by itself. It's a fantastic beer, in my opinion. I love it. I mean, I have to say that. But, like, yeah, yeah. It's always our best barrels that we'll throw into the end fray. And then the rest of the series, it's we'll use good barrels, some very, very good barrels, but there's a lot of barrels in there that don't get very much character mm -hmm. over time in comparison to the rest. So those ones we'll end up throwing, like, you know, the vanilla, the walnut, that, that sort of a thing, like with our last one. And uh, the wall, it, it just really picks up where those barrels have left off. Can I ask, I want to sort of in one sense re-ask Matt and Bron's question from earlier on, which is when you use a phrase like they don't get much character, for someone who's very new to all of this, what does that mean? What's How would I know a, well, a barrel with character, with a barrel without? Uh, well, a barrel with character, I would say, is one that just doesn't taste like chocolate milk, for us at least. If you were to taste the beer and it's just like the only things you could pull out of it are raisin, chocolate milk and no bourbon bourbon's a big big one you really want that on the nose so we were really lucky with the way that these three barrels turned out and that you can pull bourbon off the nose but yeah i'd say bourbon is the main one because if untapped is to be listened to if you should ever do that um that's the first thing they'll complain about for instance uh i tried an experiment where i went a little bit over the top with the uh the empty man if anybody of you tried that it's a very polarizing uh, beer that we released earlier this year, which was the um, 
orange and chocolate. It, yeah, check it. Just it's Google exactly cool what it is on the can. And you'll, uh, you'll find some. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's exactly what it says on the can. If you like Jaffa's, it's a Jaffa. There is, you know, a ton of chocolate, a ton of orange on the nose. I put 15 kilos inside of our whiskey that we were making for about a month. And then I poured both the whiskey and the, um, like, the orange peel into tank. Wow. And yeah, it uh, it certainly worked. It did its job very, very quickly. Mm. It came back over the weekend, and it was just, it, it was uh, popping, as they say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was polarizing. People weren't expecting that. They expected, uh, you know, a typical Frey release. And our uh, latest release is much more in line because I, I felt like, you know, may as well just keep it the same. People love it that way. We're not going to go too, too crazy with adjuncts or anything like that. But the uh, the Jaffa beer was certainly the Jaffa beer. Um, I was going to go back and talk about the components of this. So how, I'm interested in the Fourth Horseman and how much it changed since release to before you added it in here. Um, yeah, did you were you able to actually have a look at that compared to a, a can that you had somewhere in the brewery? Was was there? Yeah, any, I tried so hard to even hunt down a can of Fourth Horseman after I found that after I read that question earlier this morning. Yeah, I, I can't find it, and if it is, it's like four racks up, and I can't be fucked. But like, um, yeah, I, what's in this is maybe around out of the five hundred liters we got out of the barrels. There's maybe about 60, but that speaks to how thick and how rich the Fourth Horseman was and the, how much it actually lifted up this beer and gave the Belgian quad something to stand on. Hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, again, another traditional cool room question. Uh, Curtis, memories of your first barrel-aged beer. Um, is there something that sticks in your mind as to... But are there Canadian examples that we should be on the lookout for and be hunting down? Um, there was one that sticks out for, like, my first memory of drinking a barrel-aged beer. There's this uh, small rural brewery in British Columbia, Canada, called Cranog Ales. And they have really, like, quite uh, Fiona and Ed vibes, like Dollar Bill. Hi. Like, it's a, yeah, it's a husband and wife, and they're just hippies growing out, uh, you know, um like making good beer out in the middle of nowhere kind of a thing. Yeah. But they're like absolutely lovely people. And they came out with this beer every year from like these barrels. I think he actually made it himself out of spruce wood. It's called like Backhand of God. And it was like an imperial stout that they would make and they release it each year. And it all came out of the same barrel. Really, really cool stuff. But like every time I had that beer, it was, uh, yeah, it was a special little trip. Nice. I'm sorry, what was the name of the brewery again? Oh, it's uh, called Cranog Ales. Nice. Um, and I suppose the other question that, that um, we should ask, and we've been trying to trying to get a gauge for everyone, um, where can you see yourself drinking this particular beer? Where can you see yourself drinking the, the Ruinous Archers? Uh, well, uh, probably right now at home with my partner, uh, listening to him complaining about how little peanut butter flavor there is in it, to be honest. <laughs> how little paint, peanut butter flavor. Yeah, that's his thing. He's sort of obsessed with that lately. So, <laughs> uh, We've got audience questions here. 
Let's get underway. We've got some rippers coming up, I am advised, by the Cool Room Zoom Room. Um, Matt and Bron, I believe you have an audience question. More Matt than Bron, but um, with Ruinous Archers being a, a really sensational blend, asking the brewers, what two beers would you blend in the world and what would you name it? Oh, ripper question. Oh, there's a lot of crimes I want to commit, but... Um... This is pretty hard for me, even like deciding to put this into uh, like how fantastic those two were. I felt it was just sort of, it, it let the beer down how thin it ended up being in barrels. So, man, I don't know. It just really depends on how those barrels turn out as to what I'd put together. Also, they need to spend time together. So this was an exceptional circumstance just to make sure that like, you know, uh, if I were to blend two things together, one of them having some weird yeast that's just going to blow up your cans in your fridge after you decide to age it for, like, you know, two years. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a case-by-case basis on that one for me, unfortunately. Uh, for everyone else in the room, uh, Chris, Curtis, you know, what, uh, Clint, what would you be saying on that one? Um, I'm going to say Pacifico and Modelo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, uh, I'm a sucker for a Mexican lager and they're two of my faves so fresh of, <laughs> fresh of those two I don't think you can get better mm, that's gold we quite like uh, blending beer on tap out at the, uh, at the tap room so it was kind of fun to have five different rizzes on the other night and we just let customers blend them however they saw fit if I could blend two really you know, big genitalia energy beers. I'm thinking like Side Project BBT um, and a little bit of Anchorage uh, Triple Oak from maybe like two or three years ago. Probably in like a really unhealthy blend, maybe like 25% BBT, <laughs> 75% Triple Oak. Be like a really nice bourbon barrel plus thick riz, brown sugar notes, <laughs> bit of uh, purple fruit. If ever there was a phrase that was just so beautifully suited to the late-night radio voice that you have, I think that was absolutely it. I feel like we need to shut the podcast also, down after this. Also, I want to extend that question to Ben from Carwin, who probably has had more beers or sampled more beers than anyone else. Mate, I would do... Oh, gee, that's a tough one. What's that spirit, I would, I would What's that, spirit that you always pair with Ruberside? <laughs> What was that? What's that spirit you were making me drink of Riverside? Oh, geez, I can't remember that. Asking the hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would I would blend uh, a big, big bourbon barrel age imperial stout, maybe some side projects, something like that as well, with just 5% Cantillon uh, Rosé de Gambrinus. Mm. Just a little bit. Do you think you'd notice it? It's a good answer. Like, the, the room's gone silent, but... Yeah. I'm, You're I'm, all wankers. I'm imagining... <laughs> and, and I know that our Cantillon uh, delivery is coming very soon. Have you got yours yet, Ben? I've been away for a couple of days, but I bloody hope so. Uh, maybe maybe I've got your allocation because I thought I got a bit this time around. Anyway, check out the Cool Room Shopify very soon. Make sure you're on our mailing list so you don't miss out for that. Uh, Jacob Jackson, are you in the room with us? We know that you've uh, you've secreted yourself away in a very special room just so you'd have excellent audio quality. Uh, if you're not there, 
I can ask your question, but I can't. Yeah, there you are. Unmute yourself, mate. Ask your question. Yeah, sorry about that. Still making dinner. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I had a question for Ben uh, Duval, uh, Carwin, in that how, how does it feel to have such influence over the, the Melbourne brew scene? And I'm not saying unrightly so. And what do you do with that influence, you know, aside from making money? So I know well, I, I don't know if it's influence. I just try and represent the best of the best of the Australian brew scene and present it uh, in the way that we do. So um, I certainly don't feel like I or we have a huge influence. We're just trying to, you know, trying to work with the best best brewers uh, in Australia and and inspire them to be as creative as they can be. I feel, you know, just the fact that it, you know, the vibe is, you know, you call Brewer's Answer, you know, that's um, it, it's a compliment, and, you know, I'm not saying it rightly so, but it's um, it's uh, it's a pretty interesting thing, because not many places in Melbourne or even other parts of Australia, you know, would get that kind of response. Yeah, sure, it's something we've certainly built up over time through, you know, I think Canvent will be into its seventh year or something like that this year, so... Um, yeah, it's, um, it's just amazing how, how much the scene has changed over that time and, and interesting the, the breweries that have, um, endured over that time as well. Cause like, you know, talking to, to Chris today and to, um, Curtis from Deeds, we've been working together for, for so long and it's just, just a, it's a great time for the Australian brewing industry. Obviously it's tough tough for a lot of breweries as well, but um, yeah, certainly an interesting time. I think the car one thing too is like, it's a, it's a respect thing. So I think anyone, anyone who's a brewer, you know, has been to Carwin and it's a sort of respect for what they've done, you know, through importing and supporting beer day in, day out, not just, you know, being in a box, you know, that being said, the first time we were in a box, like we were beside ourselves, like it was such a, like we saw it as a real honour, um, but you know the boys have earned that honour um, and earned that respect over years. Appreciate that, Clint. I mean, we we just like working with good people as well, and that's that's also what the industry is about, and what so many people you know love about it. Yeah, when I first moved here, you guys were the first place everybody pointed out. Even when I went to other craft beer bars, so like, oh shit, you got to go to Carl. Yeah, that's probably Where the Justin so influence as well. <laughs> I live in the CBD, and I'm just like, oh, wait, I have to go north of, like, like Victoria Parade? What the hell? Like, uh. Yeah, we are annoyingly <laughs> north of the city. Nah, nah, it's gorgeous, though. Great neighborhood, too. You got a friend of mine. Who can beat place I like the walking distance. <laughs> yeah. Now, Shannon, uh, so... Just to give you, Jacob, Jacob, your audio is truly terrible, mate. I don't say that as a slight on you as a human being, but just so you know. Uh, Shannon, you've got a question, and then, Matt, you might have another question. Yeah. Um, ben, I've, you guys, I mean, obviously your Carwin Canvent is just such a massive killer every single year, and it's very, very hard to get your hands on in a lot of cases, um, unless you're quick or you just know what you you know it is that you want. Um you know about Brewski Bar, obviously in Brisbane, uh, my beer dealer that does the twelve stouts of Christmas. Would you would you yep. think about doing a second canvent for those that want to drink 
some different types of beers from a different kind of angle. Um, you know, maybe some big lagers and like that Schwartz beer that we had tonight and, you know, and just some, some big barrel age stuff. At Well, to, to be honest with you, mate, that's why we do the black box. Um, I mean, can, Canvan is Canvan and it certainly pushes the envelope to a certain degree, but it has to, is certainly not as niche as, as what black box is. And so that's, that's why we do that every winter and give, you know, give breweries a chance to really, really push, push the boat out. Um, but no, I think, um, I think we'll leave, leave December, um, to Matt at Brewski to really, to really push it out in terms of stouts. But maybe we could do a collab box together. That'd be fun. Maybe that might have been what I was, you know, unintendedly getting at. <laughs> and, and Matt, did you have another one, Matt? So there's been a number of breweries closing down or facilities closing down recently. And there's two trains of thought. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are, brewers and Ben. Is it the thought that there is currently really hard times at the moment and it's really bad for the industry? Or the flip side is it's actually separating the well-performing and good beers and having good beers rise to the top as opposed to the poorer performer breweries that are just riding the craft trade per se. I'm keen to know your thoughts on it, on if it's actually making Australian beer better or the industry as a whole is really crap. And I'm going to jump in but really quickly there just to say that we weren't recording for a bit. We've started to record again. But for a question like this, um, people let me know and I can edit. Like, we can do it one of two ways. So we weren't recording. Let me know if you say something you don't want recorded and put out there. No dramas about that. Ben. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely a combination, isn't it? I mean, it's it's absolutely the toughest market conditions that I'm sure most of us can ever remember at the moment. And the cost of business is ridiculously high. The cost of, you know, excise tax keeps going up. Cost of ingredients and transport keeps going up. But um, at the same time, uh, I think... The industry grew at such a, a rate that a, a natural tightening or sh, you know shrinking of the, of the industry was due to happen at some point, and unfortunately, it's a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. But um, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting and turbulent couple of years. And look, can I rephrase the question, perhaps a little bit, Matt? I mean, because we've spoken to other brewers along the way who are clearly making sort of changes to either their format size or the kinds of beers they're offering on tap to venues or just genuinely have sort of an idea about where the market's going. How much of a consideration is that for the brewers we've got on the on the line at the moment? Or is it just, you know, dedicate yourselves to the style <laughs> you're known for over the last five, ten years and keep on going ahead? Uh... Oh, sorry, go for it. No, you go. Uh, well, I know for us, it's a quite a big concern. 
Um, if you know Deeds, you know we do, well, we used to do hazies, like, you know, every other beer. Tripa, you know, all that sort of thing. Like, you know, we'd have some acronym after however 30 grams of hops you throw into a beer. But, um, yeah, th- those don't just fly off the shelves anymore from what we see. It's um, us trying to not only, like, conserve our hop load, but also, like, you know, experimenting styles you might not see so much there anymore. Things like, you know, uh, well, you did a Schwartz beer, which was, like, far better than ours, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, what was the other one we did? The, um, uh, anyway, there, there's a few beer styles that are out there, and um, we're trying to, like, break into that sort of, like, oh, maybe somebody's hunting for this, somebody's hunting for that. Uh, well, also, like, trying to lower the price of the beer at the end result, just because um, hops are expensive. And not everybody has that sort of amount of money to throw at a can of beer on the shelves every single time they go into, you know, wherever they decide to buy their craft beer kind of a thing. So we're personally trying to, you know, lower the prices of our beer. Because, I mean, I look at my beer on the shelves and look at it be like next to somebody else's and be like, why is it so damn expensive? It's it's just because we typically hold no stops. But we're trying to, uh, you know put more investment into like, you know, complexity of malts and things like that. And so that's how we're trying to like reduce costs because we know that people are actually spending less money on beer and also the new upcoming generation, uh, from what I've seen, they don't drink as much. Mm. That's another big, big thing that I think a lot of people like don't touch about. Like, yeah, everybody who has money, they, um, you know, they're, they're spending less money on alcohol, but Gen Z, they don't drink as much. No. Yeah, I, I think I think it can't be overestimated, like the impact that like the macroeconomics are having at the moment in Australia. Like, you know, interest rates going up so heavily over the last um, nine months or whatever it is. You know, back during COVID and and in that sort of pre post COVID thing, I remember like you would set your alarm for a deeds release or a bank's release and try and get a four pack online, and like that was like, you know, cake eater coming out and stuff. I don't know what it was like for you guys, Chris, but remember like cake eater would come out and it'd be like, you know, oh shit, I didn't log on quick enough. It was sold out. And like we were, we were doing small stuff at that scale, like our single hop series, and, you know, we'd put on, you know, our whole allocation basically, and it would be gone in like 20 minutes. And that just doesn't like happen anymore because, yeah. you know, the point of the, of the RBA raising interest rates is to, is to curb inflation, to curb spending. It, they're telling us to stop spending money. And what do you stop spending money on? You know, craft beer is like essentially a luxury good. And when you're talking about like a 30 gram a litre hopped IPA for 20 bucks a can, like who's actually buying those anymore? Um, you know, when I when I do pop into, you know, what my local is down here, which is like probably Myrna Cellars, um, you know, I'm looking at like a massive fatigue of just like really cool colourful labels um, and what do I do when I see them now? I go towards things that trust. So I'll grab banks, I'll grab one drop, I'll grab deeds, um, you know, hawkers maybe. Um, I'm not so much like going out there and grabbing a bit of everything because there's just too many options. Um, so really it's like the very good players, and I think this is what you're getting at, Matt, are, are like thriving from that because they're the ones being picked. But, you know, at the end of, oh, he's back. Um but at the end of the pump day, up his tires again, just to make sure he knows. Sorry, what I was going to say, Matt, is like when I buy at a at my local bottle shop, I'm I'm 
going to my trusted names, like, you know, the Banks, Deeds, Hawkers, OneDrop. Um, but, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, like, there is an oversaturation of brands in Australia, so the good ones are going to stand out. But also, you know, people don't have the money they used to have. Um, you know, people's home loans are going through the roof. 70% of fixed loans are going to fall off between now and December. Um, I think people who think that, you know, craft beer is going to get back to that sort of exorbitant spending of like, you know, range third birthday and people lining up down the street. It's just like, it's not going to be that anymore. Uh, it sucks for me, like opening a brand new brewery and going up tenfold in production, like fucking terrible timing. Um, but, you know, if you've got a tap room and you've got a great offering and you've got a good hospitality offering and you're doing like the good things there, I think that, um, you know, the good stuff will the good stuff will survive and there'll be a lot of heartbreak. And at the end of the day, there's like a lot of families behind the heartbreak. Oh.